Well, welcome to part two of our fall vision series. I, I, I've asked two uh, athletes to come and join me at the front, Caleb and Micah. They, you guys are going to need to cheer them on because I'm going to ask them to do something super difficult. You ready for this? Caleb, Mark's going over there. Micah, right over here. And, and, and folks, you really need to help them with this. I, I'd like them to play catch. Go ahead, play catch. Oh, I Oh! No, I mean really, play catch. What do you mean? That's not difficult? Can you guys think they can do it three times in a row without... Oh, they've already done it three times in a row. Okay, I, I need to t- uh, amp this up a little bit here right now. So I, I think that... Okay. Now go ahead, play catch. Play catch. Go ahead, Cam, catch it. Oh, come on, what's the problem here? What's the problem here? Okay, all right. All right, Caleb, maybe you'll have more success. Right here, Caleb, right here. Grab him, grab it, grab it. Okay, maybe more success um, throwing it to, to Micah. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, okay, now try to catch it again. Yep, yep, come on. What's the problem, Caleb? Caleb, Caleb, uh, did you not understand the rules of the game here? I do not. So, what, what's the problem here, folks? Well, let's say it together. What does Caleb need? Oh. Go ahead. Show us what you can do. Show us what you Oh, man. It's amazing what a little clarity can do, isn't it? Thanks, guys. Brilliant athletes. We need clarity. You know, if your eyes are getting fuzzy, you go see an optometrist and you hope, you hope they can help you, right? When your windshield's dirty, what do you do? Or you get a squeegee, you, you go to the car wash. If you really have to, this is from a, you know, my northern Albertan uh, boy advice, you stop on the side of the road and you pick up some snow. You throw it at your windshield while the windshield wipers are going. It works like a, like, like a charm. If your doctor writes out an incomprehensible prescription, who are you going to call? The pharmacist, who I believe has been government trained to interpret, like doc code or something, right? Clarity is critical in our lives. Any area of life, health, relationships, family, work, you need clarity in order to succeed, in order to just do the thing you've been asked to do, even as simple as tossing a ball back and forth. And as a church, we need clarity too. To be the kind of church that Jesus has called us to be, we need clarity on who Jesus is. We need clarity on what kind of church he is made us to be. Last week, we started with uh, part one of this clarity series by remembering that Jesus forms the foundation and marks the mission of the church, specifically our church, the Erickson Covenant Church, that Jesus forms the foundation and marks the mission, that we are, in essence, Jesus people, without apology. We teach Jesus, we worship Jesus, we follow Jesus, we, we, we study the life of Jesus, we, 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 we try, to, try to understand who Jesus is and make Jesus known. We introduce people to Jesus, and we, we actually do that like Jesus does it, by loving people, by serving them, by inviting them, by helping everyone that we can find and figure out and then follow Jesus talking last week because we're talking about our vision as a church. We also talked how we are beginning to pursue a a vision for our church that we would gather 
as the Erickson Covenant Church in two primary ways. That we would gather in large clusters like this, but also in smaller groups. And just so we are being really clear as a leadership team and as pastors, this doesn't just mean, well, real church is going to happen on Sunday. And then you've got these optional small groups for the extra spiritual keen. That's actually not what we're doing, not what we're talking about. Rather, what we're saying is we need to be gathering in large and small clusters as a church to be the church. And that each of these gatherings, both here in this kind of setting as well as in homes and in small groups, each of them function to help us in unique ways to follow Jesus. We actually need both to grow. We need both to care. We need both, small and large, to reach people. We need both in order to be discipled in the ways of Jesus. And this is a vision for the Erickson Covenant Church that will take some time to fully implement, but we are moving forward with this. And next week, for the next following weeks, you'll have opportunity to sign up for some of the small groups that are being offered this fall, and I hope you'll do that. So, clarity point number one from last week. I'm still recapping. Jesus forms the foundation and marks the mission of the Erickson Covenant Church. And where did we get that? We got it from this pivotal moment, a moment of pivotal clarity in the life of the disciples of Jesus when they discovered or realized who Jesus really was. It's found in Matthew's Gospel. I have it printed on an insert in your bulletin today, but it's in Matthew chapter 16. And let's, let's read it again. Here it is. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Remember, the Son of Man was this code, kind of biblical code word, really loaded. Jesus used it to refer to himself, but it reaches back into the ancient story of God's people, talking about the coming of one in whom God's kingdom would be established forever. Jesus is referring to himself. Who do you say Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And now that's where we stopped last week, and we, we talked about that, you know, Jesus forming the foundation, marking the mission. But today we're going to go on. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. In that particular moment in the story, they weren't ready to let the news out. Later, they would be told to let the news fly. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's a wow statement, isn't it? Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind will be bound and whatever you loose will be loose. I think that's kind of amazing. Because Jesus is like, Jesus, this is a pretty powerful, bold, amazing statement. And you were talking about us? You were talking about the church? Does that strike you? That's a bit of an overreach on Jesus' part. Because the church, as we see it, or as we often maybe experience it, can kind of seem pale, maybe a bit anemic, in comparison to this grand dream and declaration of Jesus. Now, I love the church. You know I love the church. And I love this church in particular. But can we be really candid here? We aren't always that pretty. 
No, really, like I love you. But we aren't always that pretty. And we can be a bit of a ragtag collection, right, of sinful, confused people. And yes, we're loved. And yes, we're precious in the eyes of God. And yes, we've been gifted by the Holy Spirit, and He is living among us. But let's be honest, there's times when we can be kind of petty, kind of difficult, kind of ugly. And the church, in whatever form it takes, can sometimes seem like a faint shadow of what Jesus intended. Last week, a friend posted on Facebook this question. He was asking friends of his who don't go to church, kind of what would be some of the reasons why they might plug back into uh, a local church. And it was, a, you know, frankly, a pretty painful, searing read. My heart was racing as I read some of it. Yeah, there are positive posts and encouraging words that were said. But there, were also, there was also deep tragedy and hurt, devastation, some of which was perpetrated on others by people of the church. And my heart ached as I read many of these comments. Let me just give you a, a small sampling. One man said, I quote, For me, I really struggled because I found I never fit in any of them. No one talked to me or ever wanted anything to do with me, really. I felt like the outcast in church. Ugh. Another woman said, I haven't gone to church in seven or eight years. Nonsense, I didn't feel like anyone cared or loved me in a church. I felt dismissed as a goer, one who was struggling so bad to find her way. I just ended up not looking back. But in my heart, I want to go to a church that makes you feel welcomed and loved and feel like you can be you, no judgment. And yet another man said, I live with the aftermath of the residential school system that has crippled my community, I will never attend any church. Do you feel the pain in those comments? The hurt? Now, that's not true for everyone, thankfully. Many have found the church to be a community of incredible healing and acceptance and grace. I know that many of you have experienced this church as a community of healing and acceptance of gra- and grace. I am so grateful for that. And many others, friends and folks in our community, never had anything to do with the church. And so, quite frankly, they haven't really experienced anything good or bad. They probably are largely indifferent. But more than we'd like to admit, there are those who've been hurt, shunned. You could even say some of them ruined by communities that claim to be followers of Jesus, that claim to be the body of Christ. Communities that were supposed to overcome the gates of hell, but then ended up just causing hell in the lives of others. And the truth is, the church of Jesus has often not looked that much like Jesus at all. And for that, we must repent. We need Jesus to lead us always back to his heart for others. And that's why we started with that first clarity point, which seems to remain very, very central for us. Jesus is the one that we follow. Jesus is the one who forms the foundation and marks the mission of the church. But what do we do when it can seem like the church is like a failed enterprise? Or or there can be those around us who are always reminding us of the failures of the church. Well, you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. I think we are responsible to acknowledge, to confess, to repent, to apologize for ways that the church of Jesus acted in disobedience to Jesus. Contrary to his mission, contrary to his heart. Whether that's the ancient crusades or the contemporary residential schools, whether it's the particular failure of one local church to one particular family, 
We should not deny it. We should not defend it. We should confess and repent and ask for forgiveness and be honest and listen, listen, listen to the hurt. But at the same time, I really believe we don't give up on the church of Jesus. We don't give it up. That we keep holding on to the vision Jesus has for us. We keep coming back to Jesus and letting him lead us forward. Jesus' vision for us, he already said it, I think can be summarized this way. Jesus built an overcoming church who make his reconciliation real in the world. And this statement contains our next two clarity points as a church. Let's look at them for just a moment. So first, coming from the mouth of Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Clarity point number two, what Jesus builds overcomes. And on your insert, there's a spot where you can actually fill these words in. What Jesus builds overcomes. How can we be so sure that the church will actually overcome, even when there's been mistakes and sin and problems from the church? How can we be so sure that the church will overcome? Because Jesus himself is the master builder. This is his church. He's given the church what it needs to succeed. The church is owned by Jesus. It's his church, not ours. Though we are all, as followers of Jesus, part of his church. And Jesus loves his church, but he also judges it, and he corrects it. And he disciplines the church, and he leads us back to his heart. His heart for others. His heart for his Father. Jesus is at work in his church. Some of you know I'm the current president of the Crescent Valley Ministerial Association. I think it's because they can't find anyone else to stand up and do it. So we connect as local churches, local ministerial churches. We connect for mutual support, shared mission, pray for one another, encourage one another. Well, this last Tuesday, we had our first uh, fall meeting. And I was sharing with uh, the folks that, that, that met. Um, some of them are, are pastors. Some of them are, are lay volunteers. I was sharing with them how encouraged I was by this this, just these words, Jesus says, I will build my church. That when I'm discouraged or stressed about the church, because sometimes I am, you know, and, 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 or when I'm, when I'm hurting for someone who's hurting, or, or when I'm, I'm stinging from someone who's really upset with maybe something that someone else has done, or maybe something I've done, I remind myself, Jesus, this is your church. You know, kind of like the parent, your kids. Jesus, this is your church. And, and I even have adopted a, a, a kind of a habit of opening up my hands like this when I'm really stressed. Woo! If you see me walking around like this, you know. Okay, I've opened up my hands and I say, Jesus, your, this is your church. Kind of like, I'm not holding on to this. They're not taking it away, give her. Uh, this is your church, Jesus, not mine. You are the one building your church. I am only your servant. Just tell me what to do. It's your church. And this is such a huge help. I know it was an encouragement to those of us on Tuesday. Jesus said he would build his church. And what Jesus builds overcomes. Now, sometimes in order to build, Jesus has to tear a few things down, kind of like doing a reno project when you dig in and realize, oh, my goodness, the rot has gone further than I thought. And so you have to strip it down to the studs. Sometimes Jesus has to do that with the church. He has to remind us at times who's the leader and who's the follower. That's all true. But we can be sure and confident that Jesus is the builder of the church. Oops, this thing's falling off. Okay. 
And we need to keep our focus on Jesus. We need to let him keep leading us as a church. We need to stay flexible and open and supple and ready, agile, so that we follow Jesus. Not stuck or fossilized or resistant to change. Well, what is Jesus building us to overcome? He's building us to overcome the gates of Hades itself. Hades, you might remember, is the ancient Greek name for, kind of a special Greek name for the place of the dead. Um, uh, it was also the personal name of the ruler of the dead in Greek mythology, Hades. And used in Matthew, in this context, it represents the place of death, but it extends from there to include the work of death, the work of the evil one, the work of the devil, frankly, anything that would seek to destroy the reconciling work of Jesus in the world. And so the church that Jesus is building, he says, will not be overcome by the gates of death or Hades or the devil himself. But I want, you to, I want you to notice something really important about gates. When's the last time you saw gates walking down the street? Anyone? Gates out for coffee? Gates on a field trip. Here's the deal. Gates don't move. Gates stay put. Gates defend. You ever thought about that? Often we think of the church as, uh, as somehow we're, we're hunkered down behind the gates and we're, we're like being attacked by the hordes of Hades as though the church is always on the defensive. Like uh, if we hold still and we just trust Jesus, uh, they won't overcome us. But I want you to look at it. It says the gates of Hades will not overcome the church Jesus built. Doesn't that suggest for a moment that we're the ones on the outside of the gates? That we're the ones on the offensive? That we as the church of Jesus are the ones who are actually attacking hell? We're the one breaking down the gates, not the other way around. And the gates, battered and broken by the church of Jesus, they can't overcome us. They can't resist us. The attacking powers of life and forgiveness and resurrection... They can't overcome us. What Jesus builds overcomes. And the church of Jesus is not cowering before the hordes of hell. We're storming Hades. We're getting up every day, and in the name of Jesus, we're going after the work of the evil one. Wherever he seeks to destroy, we bring the life of Jesus. Wherever he attempts to wreck, maybe attempts to wreck a relationship, we're there rebuilding the relationship under Jesus' instruction. Where the devil tries to sow hate between groups or between families or between people, we are there replanting in the love of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is not on the defensive here. We're on the offensive. But you're not convinced, are you? The life of Jesus. Let's look at that for a moment. Let me ask you. When Jesus was going around healing people and and teaching about the kingdom of God, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, There always ended up being a massive power encounter between the forces of evil, evil spirits, unclean spirits, demons, and Jesus would end up casting them out, tossing them aside, freeing people from Satan's oppression. Let me ask you, when that was happening, when Jesus was casting out demons, was he defending himself? Or was he on the offensive? Anyone? In one parable, I love this one, Jesus calls himself a kind of burglar who goes into the home of Satan. He's called the strong man, and he binds him. He ties him up, and he ransacks his house and frees all the captives who've been living there. Jesus would have made the police beat of Preston for B&E. 
Yeah. Jesus is on the offensive against evil. He's bringing freedom and healing and forgiveness. Last week we talked about how Jesus marks the mission of the church, that he shows us what we are to do, and it's the same here. That we as followers of Jesus are on the offensive against evil, that we're, we're storming the very strongholds of death with the good news of Jesus' resurrection, that we're, we're pulling, pushing back the darkness with the light of Christ, bringing hope and freedom and life where there's only been despair and bondage and death. Listen, folks, Hades quakes at the sight of the oncoming church. I love the quote that gets circulated on social media. I think some of you have seen it. The quote about amazing women is this quote. Be the kind of woman that when your feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh, crap, she's up. I love that. And, and many of you women are exactly the kind of women that the devil just hates it when you get up in the morning. But if you would allow me just for this morning to revise this quote, a little. Friends, Erickson Covenanters, we want to be the kind of church that when our feet hit the floor every morning, the devil whispers, oh crap, they're up. That when the church of Jesus wakes up in the morning, the, the blood drains from his face as he begins to contemplate the terrible day he's going to have because we got up. We want to be the kind of church that hell hates. A church that's way too loving, way too grace-filled, way too Jesus for hell to take. A church that acknowledges hurt, that repents of it, that seeks reconciliation, that keeps on loving with the love of Christ. We want to be the kind of church that when we gather to worship Jesus, the gates of Hades quake with fear, and we scatter into the community as lights of the world, the darkness flees in terror. What's the implication of this first clarity point? It's simply this. We can have supreme confidence in Jesus' workmanship. He's building an overcoming church. No, we're not perfect. No church is. But as we follow Jesus, he has promised that we will overcome. Well, he not only said that he would build an overcoming church, he also said he'd give the church something for the mission. And that brings us to clarity point number three. What Jesus gives works. What Jesus gives works. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What does that mean? It sounds like something out of a medieval fantasy novel with keys and gates and binding and loosing. and all. You know, what's going on here? Well, in short, Jesus is gifting his disciples with authority to act on his behalf. He's giving them authority to enact his reconciling forgiveness plan in the world. As his followers, we've been sent in the world to make Jesus known. Remember how he said at this moment in the story, Jesus knows the disciples aren't ready. So he says, don't tell anybody you're not ready. You'll just blow it. But by the end of the story, he sends them out to make Jesus known. And that commission still applies to us today. We are called to help people discover the truth that Jesus has defeated death. And, and, and that Jesus, through his work on the cross and his resurrection, has opened heaven to all who will place their trust in him. There's some big keys, folks. And they work. You know, often commentators have argued over what this all means, as though Peter, or maybe the disciples of the church, uh, somehow has been given the authority to, you know, you can't get into heaven. And you, you can. It's some kind of weird power thing. It's nuts. That's not what's going on here. 
what, what's going on is the church has been given responsibility to make the good news of Jesus known in the world. And with that responsibility, they've been granted full authority to announce, to make the resurrection and the reconciliation real in the broken, sinful, dark places of the world. And the reality is if we don't do that, if we don't make Jesus known, people don't find out about him. If we don't announce resurrection, people stay in death. If people don't hear the good news, they go on living in the midst of bad news. This is true. Jesus built an overcoming church, and he gave us real authority to make known what he's done for all people, to make it available to all people. And it's not some sort of power position or ugly exclusion. It's just God's forgiven people acting on his authority to share his forgiveness with everyone else. Hey, most of you drove here today. Can you pull out your keys? Yes, everyone. Pull out your keys. Pull out your keys and give them a shake. Oh, yeah, listen to that. Yeah, give them a shake and hold them out for a minute. The metaphor of keys is so powerful. It speaks of ownership and responsibility. It's a big deal. You know, when we toss keys to the kid, what are we saying? Come back alive or something like that, right? But what we're saying, we're giving them responsibility to drive the car. Is that hard for anyone at first? We're giving them responsibility to drive the car safely, but properly, come home before 10, all that stuff. When you get keys for the workplace, maybe you're at a new job and they give you a set of keys. What are they doing? They're giving you authority to come and go and do the work that you have been hired to do. Isn't this cool? Jesus has given us keys. And under his authority, we go around unlocking doors so people can get out, so people can experience the love and the grace of Jesus. And we go around locking anything that hides death, anything that would seek to destroy or subvert the saving work of Jesus. I mean, could it just be possibly that these keys of authority Jesus is talking about just might unlock the gates of death itself so that Jesus' resurrection life can be applied to everyone? Here's the thing. What Jesus gives works. These keys really work. Jesus has sent us to love the lonely, sent us to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent us to seek reconciliation. He, he sent us to, to share Jesus in our, in our schools, in our homes, in our fields, in our workplaces. And folks, his love works. His healing transforms lives. His grace brings hope. And we've been given authority to act on his behalf to tell everyone who will listen, everyone who can see that his plan, what Jesus has done, actually applies to them. And we can do that with full confidence because it works. Paul, at the start of his big letter to the Romans, he said, I am not ashamed of the good news about Jesus. Why is he not ashamed of it? He says, because it is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. In other words, it works. The good news of Jesus works. And we can have total confidence in it. Our final implication is this. What Jesus gives works means we can assume full authority to enact Jesus' reconciling plan for the world, that he's making his love real through us. Well, as we close today, what does this look like practically? Summarizing very quickly the last two weeks. As a church, we're going to keep Jesus central. That means when we gather, whether we're gathering in small groups or gathering as youth or gathering in large groups or gathering as children, we are going to help other people find and follow Jesus. 
And then when we scatter throughout the week into our homes, our jobs, our schools, we're going to keep Jesus central. We're going to focus upon him. We're going to follow him 24-7, 365. Jesus is central. And in our mission together, we're going to follow Jesus hard. We're going to follow his example. We're going to follow his modeling. We're going to follow his strategies. We're going to follow his teaching. We're going to follow his very life. We're going to be the kind of church that scares the devil, that makes Jesus great, and that helps everyone discover that there's a father who loves them and wants them to be part of his family. Look, I'm really excited about the fall. I love this church. I'm really excited for what's happening. I want to see people in this valley discover God's love for them. I know you do too. And so as we close today, I want to call you. Let's be the church that Jesus built, the church that overcomes. Let's rattle Hades' gates. Let's get busy unlocking doors and locking up death so people can find and follow Jesus. That's our vision. That's our clarity. Let's pray. Jesus, you have called us to be your people and have promised us that we will overcome. You've given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven so that we can announce and declare what you have done applies to all and see people come to life in you. And as we launch into this fall, Lord Jesus, I pray that we as the Erickson Covenant Church, we would keep you crystal clear in our hearts and minds, following you hard, letting your mission and your life shape us individually and as families and as a church. And we pray, knowing that what you've given us works, we pray that we would see men and women and children transformed this year by your love. We would see people welcomed. We would see people included. We would see people discovering your life. We would see families restored. We would see the broken healed. We would see change coming where there's been no change. All because you are present. You are at work. You are alive. And so, Lord Jesus, we tell you that as the Erickson Covenant Church, we are yours. We are your church. You own us. You lead us. And ask that you would take us where you want us to go. We're following hard after you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. I hope you can join us for coffee time next week, Chick Sunday. But, but let me just say this before you leave. When you leave today, just, just rattle your keys a bit, okay? We want to let the devil know we're coming. Have a good day.